This week's episode is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/insideoutside. Again, that's audibletrial.com/insideoutside to download your free audiobook today. Also, Dillashaw LLC. Not all attorneys are focused on startup legal issues. From setting up your entity to vesting agreements and term sheets, Bart has experience and connections working with startups everywhere and has been a trusted resource for startups in the Valley, Austin, and around the Midwest. On this episode, we're going to be discussing content marketing. We also caught up with VC and one of my favorite people, Jonathan Trieste, about everything from fundraising to what it's like to work and build a company in Detroit. All of this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside, your look in the startups outside of Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Erdinger. And I'm Paul Jarrett, the third time interrupting Matt. (laughs) We did this three takes this time. Nice. Nailed it. Killing it on this Tuesday morning. Uh, Early. Crack a dawn. I have a head cold. I'm feeling pretty awesome. I'm Wait, super excited. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Been up since 5.30. I am, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. I had my cup of decaf coffee this morning. So, Hey, guys. We're talking about content marketing today. What do you guys think of that? <laughs> content marketing is a big, big, big subject, especially in, um, in the startup world. That was my line. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just screwing up everybody's We're going with the flow this morning. We're a little bit loopy. Um, Content marketing is, is, uh, I think it's born, honestly, out of like startups being resourceful and scrappy. It is a very, very... I totally agree. Yeah, it's like a really resourceful way of getting getting traffic and attention to your website. So what is it? What is it? It, Content marketing. Here, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, Brian Ardinger. Matthew Boyd, would you like to listen to the definition? Yes. I just Googled this, so it's probably a thousand times. Could be anywhere. Oh, it's straight from Wikipedia. Content marketing is any marketing that involves the creation and sharing of media and publishing content in order to acquire and retain customers. So basically writing content to get people to pay attention to it. Or, oh crap, we ran out of money. What's a cheap way that we can get people Absolutely. is probably how it started. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah It's I'm not at, just about writing, though. It's also videos. It's, yeah, basi- it's basically it, any type of sharing of knowledge. One, one, could, argue, one could argue that that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, totally. Content marketing. I don't know what we're marketing specifically. We'll figure that out. Right. We'll figure that out in right. time. So let's have a list. We've got blogs. We've got that's the most obvious way. Everybody knows blogs, right? They get picked up by the reason everybody defaults to blogs is because they they get picked up by Google very, yep. very easily. Yep. Uh, newsletters, podcasts, ebooks, videos, mailing lists, slideshares, white papers, anything else? Case studies. Now that that Dave McClure's funnel uh, marketing like a pirate is coming to mind, where there's a slide where it shows all of the things. Yeah, and I remember looking at that, saying, "Oh crap, that's so much stuff that you have to like produce on a regular basis." But um, over time, it gets easier. And I think that uh, it, this comes down to like pure startup focus. Like, like pick one or two of those things yep. that you do really, really well, and mm-hmm. you can learn to do really well. Most people 
don't know how to blog right off the bat, so it's a skill that you'll have to learn. But Discipline. I think it's Big getting time. discipline. And it's yeah. getting much more difficult. I mean, the amount of content that's being produced, uh, there's a 2012 survey that said from Nielsen that said 27 million pieces of content are being produced every day. And yeah. if you think about that, that was before Snapchat. 2012 is like ancient time ago. It is. It really is. And the amount of clutter in that. So it's not only that you have to do content marketing, it's now part of the... You know, ethos of every startup, but you've got to be so much better at it to actually cut through the clutter. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's, we we can, let's chat about a couple of ways that you can actually maybe potentially stand out in the crowd. Um, I think a lot of people there's two different methodologies that you could attack here, um, which I, I I have my very specific um, preferences. So you could go with the just like kind of low lower quality content but higher volume content mm-hmm. stuff that you're putting out maybe twice a day maybe once a day but you've got something going out consistency five, five six times a week um versus the very very i mean so a, a guy that you should actually google neil patel um at quick sprout he he writes one post i actually looked up his blog frequency uh one post every three days but each post is 3,000 words wow. with probably 10 charts and graphs in every single post. And every one of his posts probably gets 50,000 to 100,000 people reading it. you think he has a team it. or you think he does like has time he, to do that himself? He wrote a or? blog post exactly how he writes blog posts. Really? <laughs> <laughs> do tell, Matt. Do tell. So he, Give uh, me the explain like I'm five or the TLDR version. Yeah, so basically he, he writes a first draft very quickly, very roughly, and then he sends it to an editor. Oh, yeah. And, and she just just bashes through everything that he does she wrote. add um the infographs and stuff like yeah that? so she yep. adds all of that stuff makes cool. it a final post ready yep. you know ready so he brain to dumps and she puts it out there exactly That's cool yep i think people would be surprised at how many of those um matt you and i have talked about this before but those names we call them like silicon valley names the yeah. tim ferris guy kawasaki how many of those people actually have a team of people Behind them, making them look good and produce content, totally. etc. Totally. So. I think part of it is like, how do you go about even thinking about the content that you're going to create? And I right. think the first thing you have to do is think about again, who's your audience and what do you want to communicate? And I, I think one of the best ways to think about content is not that it's about promoting your business, but it's mm-hmm. really trying to solve that problem that your core business is trying to solve, and it's just doing it in a in new medium or new ways to. Talk about the the core problem that your product um, serves or or your service uh, actually provides. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it. So, uh, whenever you start a a company or whatever, you're going to be a leader in that specific vertical, whatever it is. For for my previous company, it was remote working, and we made a very conscious decision early on to own that space when it comes to just you know thought that's going on as well. And we wanted to, anytime anybody mentioned remote working, we wanted to have a presence on the internet there. Well, and that's ultimately, if you talk to the best people in SEO, what you can't figure out Google's algorithm anymore. Like you're not Mm going to crack the code like you And they change it. They change it, yes. But ultimately, what you need to do is appear as the authority on a topic. Yeah. And that's like the big thing that I think a lot of people miss. Like, pick something, appear as that authority, and stick to it. And that's actually um, that that comes down to putting out amazing content. There's actually a metric that SEO experts track that is domain authority, and that is exactly what it is. So, putting out tons of content, getting the more traffic, the more content you have that's relevant to that t- topic, your domain authority goes up, and you're going to go higher up in the results. Yeah. 
This week's episode is brought to you by Dillashaw LLC. We caught up with Bart for a few tips on what to look for in a startup lawyer. When you're looking for a lawyer, be sure that you keep in mind that not all lawyers are created equal. Kind of think of them like doctors where there are specialists. Um, Not all lawyers are good at all aspects of law. So whatever you are looking for, you want to find out that the you, you want to know that the lawyer has an expertise in that area. So if that's with patents, be sure that you are finding a patent attorney. If it's a transactional attorney, make sure that they are versed in mergers and acquisitions and financings. If it's litigation, make sure that they do litigation, frankly, a specific type of litigation. To learn that, you can learn a lot just by going to the company's website. And the best way to find a good lawyer is to ask friends, um, ask other people in the industry, ask other people that have had similar circumstances and find out who they used. Probably ask three or four or five different friends, get several different people, and then, frankly, interview lawyers. Ask them what their experience is. Ask them about how they, you know, what they think about your particular problem. And um, and then find the one that's the best fit with, um, you know, with you personally as well as technical expertise. What are some of the tools that you guys use? Oh, man, we've been through so many. Like I, I automatically visualize this uh, Google Doc with all this different software and password. And I know that the stuff that we we're using three years ago, like, was fantastic. And you know, sometimes it's acquired and nobody uses it anymore. Um, I do know that we we switched to Uberflip, um, uh, and I'm sure we still use Hootsuite and some other stuff. It's sad that I'm not that involved with the process anymore. Yeah. I mean, for content marketing specifically, like when it actually comes down to the creation of content, there's about two things that I use Photoshop uh, and just some text editor. And I know that doesn't sound exciting, but right. it just comes down to writing however you can get get your thoughts on paper. Well, I think it's also more uh, visual element is becoming more and more important. So yeah. using tools like Canva, um, Pablo with his buffers tool to right, right. basically take an image and put some words over top of it. That's not like long tail content, but it is content that you can get out quickly and make it more visual because obviously Facebook, Twitter, they're all moving to a more visual yeah. platform. There's some really, really awesome, simple to use, free infograph software that you can use. And I've just toyed around with it before and it's pretty fantastic and free. Yeah. What is, what is the... Um, there's a website where you can put, I, I know there's Fiverr, you know, and mm-hmm. you can pay people to blog, but there's one specifically, it starts with the Z. Do you guys know that Zerus. one? Zerus, Z-E-R-Y-S. We've used that before. Yeah, that's a solid, what what exactly are you So it's basically uh, freelance content creators or, yeah. or bloggers or writers, and you can go into their database of writers, choose, you know, five-star writers, four-star writers, and then put the, your topic in, say how many words you want, and they'll crank it out for a particular dollar amount. I think um, I think when it comes down to content marketing, you have to be very very aware of your specific funnel and how you attract people, who you're attracting. Um, a lot of people make the mistake of just like blasting out various types of content, but e- if you think about each type of content, they're all useful in different ways. Mm-hmm. For example, eBooks are useful for capturing leads. So so putting out a landing page making it behind a uh, an e- uh, an email capture so somebody has to actually put in their email address to get that ebook that's going to be useful for very specific types of saas businesses um, and you know blogging is is also unique in its own way where you know higher volume com- companies who have you know customers that are lower value but higher volume i think that blogging makes more sense for them you don't have to you know put your email address in to 
to get that blog post. What are, your, what are your thoughts about, so blog platforms like WordPress and I've been around a while and most people have their own blogs uh, on their websites and that, but we're seeing now a trend towards these other platforms like Medium or even LinkedIn, which allows you to put blog content basically onto their platform and increase the share and reach uh, into different audiences. What do you guys think about doing that or using that as a medium versus having your own blog? Yeah, I think that um, it's actually useful for two two specific reasons. One of them, actually, Moz. I don't know if you're familiar with Moz. Yeah, used yeah. to be SEO Moz. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Moz actually put out a study that that uh, I think it was a white paper or a blog post or something, and I read it. Um, basically, stating that somebody has to see their brand seven times yeah. before they ever decide to convert on anything, and so you know, getting your stuff out to uh, other blog guest blogging. Guest blogging used to be a lot bigger because it would incre- increase your domain authority. I think it's starting to dwindle on that front now. Right. Um, but you know, very specifically, putting out a guest post does increase your brand awareness. So it does that, but it also just drives traffic back to your blog. So if you're writing somewhere that has a massive audience, like Medium, mm-hmm. where you can. You know, post and it p- could potentially go viral. It may not. I've seen posts do nothing on Medium, but uh, it, it'll drive traffic ultimately back to your blog, and people will follow you. When I see something on Medium or on LinkedIn, it's um, personal opinion um, immediately more valuable than if it's just somebody's you know on their own blog, their personal blog. It's almost like it's been qualified. In Interesting. A sense. Interesting. Um, but yet you're kind of beholden to their platform, so there's benefits in right. Exactly. I'll tell you who's. Blows my mind with content is BuzzFeed. Oh yeah! Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Absolutely! Oh my gosh! It's like we were just joking at work the other day. It's like these top five shoes that women in Pisgah, Iowa, <laughs> like don't click here to see. <laughs> and it's like so specific to a certain person. Like things Midwesterners say, and like number two is where's the ranch? Yeah. And I was like, yep, that's and, they, and that's they nailed it. That's actually a good point. Um, I think that. When it comes down to writing good blog posts, you have to put, I, I think CopyBlogger, back when I was really, really studying content marketing, they, they advocated spending like 40 or 50% of your time just on the title. Hmm. Or the title of yeah. the post or yeah. the title of the ebook or whatever you're Did putting Did you do out. a lot of A-B testing in that with you, when you're yeah, squiggling so, that? Or? Yeah, so you, know, you, you could A-B test. I think that that tends to, it, some of that, can actually push you away from actually just posting the content. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could spend too much time analysis by paralysis. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, and there's actually a lot of methodologies now that are mm-hmm. starting to work with you know things like Clickhole and things like that, where they're actually like kind of pushing the bar. You, you know that that blog what a terrible name Clickhole. It is, it is <laughs> kind of <laughs> um, But but you know they're they're kind of. Pushing the bar with these titles, I think that the biggest innovation with some of that, even even BuzzFeed, right. is like it, they, they come across with a title that you can't not click on. Right? Mm-hmm. Have here's you ever one seen weird, that? Here's one weird trick. Exactly. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Like you know the stuff where it's like um, she jumped she she jumped in this pool and you'll never guess what, what happens next. next. Yeah. It's like you can't you can't uh, not click yeah. on that, right? Ink, wanna... Ink Magazine is the best at that for yeah. me. I'm such a sucker exactly. for Ink Magazine titles. They actually have software where you can input some kind of like metadata right. and then it kicks out 
like title what, options. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what isn't there software for? Right. So obviously this stuff is hard. Whether you're going to make um, an in-depth blog post that's three thousand words, that's very technical, um, or create video or podcast, it takes a lot of time for a startup. So what are some of the things that you can do to to either make it more efficient or plan ahead? It's it's like so simple, but I think so many people. I mean, I remember when we first started, it was like in almost. I don't want to say afterthought, but there's so many things that are going on when you start, and you you can't make it as one of those things that I will, you know I'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things now that are paying higher kind of dividends that we did three years ago. Um, that's the other thing is like I feel like a lot of content marketing is just like the long tail. Oh, absolutely. Um, I watch. I've I've seen stats where clicks from YouTube videos from like. Two three years ago are finally now starting to pay off, yeah. and that's really discouraging when you start and you know you're working with lawyers and term sheets and you're doing all this stuff and then you're like oh crap like I got to tweet and you know yeah. do whatever yeah. it takes a while to grab that traction and, it, that, and exactly and, and I think even more appropriate than just plan ahead is it's make a plan <laughs> yeah, yeah understand true. who who's your audience what are you trying to accomplish with this think about the content itself and like how can it be rearranged so you, maybe you write a big long ebook and it's 20 pages but then what else can you do with that content can you cut it into yeah, uh, a re- slide share re- repurposing yes. that's a huge how do you huge reuse thing. the content that you've Retweet already it, that's a huge it. Make a, that's a really good point Brian. I think when it comes down to writing a blog post for me and, and I'll stick to writing a blog post because there's a different process with every single one mm-hmm. um I actually have kind of a four-step process that actually standardize, standardizes the blogging um, methodology. Number one is just kind of uh, content planning. So create an editorial calendar. Make sure that you've got topics on specific dates that are going to go out, number one. The, the next step in escalation would be the, the research and outline phase. So so. Right, I actually start with questions. So I, I say, like, if I'm writing a blog post about workplace efficiency, what do I want to know about right. that? And I just yep. start with asking 20 questions. Yep. And then I, the second phase of the research is I answer them. Yep. I answer them first with my own personal knowledge, right. second with uh, citations or articles or whatever. And then I put That's... all of that in the, yeah, all of that in the outline. And then the, the third phase would be just r- writing a rough. Like, don't wor- worry about language. Almost how you speak, just write it down. Right. Write it down. Get it out the door. Mm-hmm. And then the the last phase would be either me editing or sending it off to an editor. But I usually just edit myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people also in that process sometimes get a little bit caught up on it being perfect. Yeah. Um, no. I see that a lot, uh, especially uh, with entrepreneurs. Like, oh, it has to be perfect, and they keep getting feedback, and they yeah. Um, it's. It, or it gets diluted and it's so diluted down. So it might be quote unquote perfect, as in it's not going to, you know, do any, be offensive or anything like that. Or, um, but like that's kind of the point of content too, is like it might be good to cause a little bit of controversy. Maybe you want it, it's better to be polarizing than to be nothing at all. And I see that mistake. People do it yeah, a lot. Too of bland, times. not taking a stand or, or not detailed enough. I think some of the things I've seen, the, Content that's coming out, it seems to be much more bland, primarily because there's so many easy tools to get stuff out there, and I think people just say, "Well, I've got to get content. I've got to get content out." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Versus thinking about, you know, again, how do I, what do I want to accomplish with this? How is it going to affect my audience? What do, what do I want to drive traffic to? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of people when they start creating content, they just they they, they say what they know. Right. And what's what's right. just like on the top of their brain, and they yeah. yeah surface level they don't go like realistically for anybody to pay attention you have to open up new insights 
you have to bring like shed light, serious light on a on a very difficult topic right. for people to understand, and do it in a way that's very easy to understand. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of people talk just, about it maybe in a way that nobody's heard it. Yeah, exactly. A lot of yep. people don't go that that level yep. deep. So you have to you have to be very clear in doing that. And I think there's I think there's a balance. I mean, you can put out content just to have consistency and to have your name out there and that. But I think at the end of the day, that content that's really going to drive traffic is the thoughtful con- content that is solving a specific problem or delving into something that is new or, or unique in the marketplace. It's almost like I'm hearing something in, creating something is mandatory. So don't mm-hmm. just right. don't do nothing. Um, but um, if it's quality, it's better than yeah. something. Know the tools that you're using as well. From the standpoint of, you know, again, blogging is different than podcasting. Is different than slide share. Is different than p- posting on Twitter or Instagram, and all that's content. I think that Moz is an absolutely fantastic resource. Um, when we first started, they have a chart, um, and if anybody contacts me, I will give it to you because it is laminated and rolled up, and it's just sitting in a closet because now we've all memorized it. But it's this big wheel, and it's a chart of like what you should be doing in what week of your startup, and it's mm. all content marketing. And I, I remember I was in charge of it when we first started, um, and like Moz was my bible. You yeah, know? yeah, or, uh, is SEO Moz at yeah. the time, and yeah. everything was free. Yeah, so. I think a lot of people make the mistake of not knowing who their customer is, not knowing who they're talking to, and. What you have to match your content with the life cycle of your customer, mm-hmm. how they come in, how long it takes them to convert, how much money they're converting at, what the what the freak or, or what the um, volume of that customer is, and you know if you can if you can match your content efforts. If blogging works for you, blogging works. If white papers work for you, that works. If if uh, you know s- sticking just yeah. to social media works, then that's a thing. And you don't have to be on every platform. You know, a no. lot of businesses they're. Customers are not on Instagram or they're not on Snapchat or whatever. So, you know, trying to understand what you're really trying to do and, and concentrate on a couple, you know, at first I would say concentrate on a couple core platforms that you're good at and you can be consistent and put good con- content out before just saying, I'm going to be on every platform doing everything totally. or, or taking the exact same content and throwing it in to different platforms. Let's wrap this up. Maybe um, do you have one go-to resource or, or something that you've seen recently that can help um, our audience totally. understand this a little bit more? So, uh, Copy blogger, they, they don't put out new blog posts, but they have an archive of all of their old stuff. And it is if if you're getting into writing any content whatsoever, blogging, infographics, whatever, go to Copy Blogger because they have set an absolute precedent on what content marketing is. I would say um, I just ran across uh, Next View Ventures has a uh, they call it a growth guide content for content market marketers, and it's a pretty good white paper that just gives you some of the tactics and some of the basics that you need to know. Yeah. Uh, they also have a new podcast out called Traction, so that gives you know insights into people who are actually doing this. So I'd recommend that as well. Awesome. Um, mine are you know, I feel like they're dated at three years, if that's weird. But um, Moz was a great resource. Um, I remember AppSumo. I don't know if that's still relevant. If anybody still uses that nowadays. Um, and then you know, look at the people that are doing it the best. BuzzFeed, and then also your competitors, and you know, outdo them. And again, the whole something is mandatory, but creating something quality is you know better than just creating something. Obviously, so and hit me up if you want that calendar. Maybe that's a prize. <laughs> tweet it, Paul. Big prize. First come, first serve. So there you go. Yeah, first one to first one to tweet gets it. 
I'm Jonathan Trieste. I'm a partner at Ludlow Ventures. Um, we are based in Detroit, and we do uh, seed stage investing, some Series A investing, mostly in companies um, actually in the Bay Area, New York, LA, all over the place, really. So, what what is your um, what's your typical investment process look like, and you know what are some of the companies that you've invested in? Typical investment process is really get you know dive deep with the founders. Um, that's not true. Really what happens is this. We talk to a founder and within like 45 seconds, it's clear whether or not we have an interest in moving forward, which is one of the things that like, I really want to figure out a good solution for because I firmly believe that literally 45 seconds into a call, you know if you want to like go deeper or really pursue something. Obviously, there's a lot more work after that. But for the, for the people that are in companies that you're not so interested in, after 45 seconds, and this is this I think works across the board with customers and you know people who own and run businesses, prospective employees. Like I think most people have a good gut sense fairly quickly if they're interested in something or someone, and then we just spend a lot of time wasting each other's time when like when we when we know it's not a good fit. And I wish there was like a really polite way, um, and and that people appreciated being like, okay, hey, yeah, I know we've been talking one minute, um, but it's just like I'm not feeling this, so. Um, Let's just call it quits and save us both some time. So why did I get into that rant? Oh, typical process. So we, we generally are very on the offense. You know, we've identified companies that we think are really, really cool or founders that we're just totally insanely impressed with. And we do everything and anything to get in front of them. And once we do, we do anything and everything to convince them that taking capital from us is a good move for them. Um, and we really will do pretty much anything. So, so tech-wise, right now, what what's inspiring you? What are you seeing in technology that's like just kind of keeping you up at night? That's a really good question. You know, I I get I, I, it's pretty common that people ask like, what's the next thing in tech, or what are you excited about now? Like, what markets are you bullish on? And and, and I like get bored saying this, um, and I feel badly that I just keep repeating myself, but. Um, the truth is like, I'm really not good at identifying like what the next cool thing is gonna be. But I'm, I, I try very hard to identify the people who will be good at that. Um, and they've become, you know, our job, I, I really believe, is to identify very, very capable and strong founders. People who will discover the next thing and who are building that thing. Uh, I'm, they, they don't pay me any money to do that stuff. And it's good because I'm not good at it. I, mean, I can tell you this, you know, um, companies that I, I can go on and on about companies that we've already invested in and that we're excited in and companies that, you know, they, you know, companies and technologies that keep me up at night because I'm so excited about them. But it's always in hindsight. Like, you know, these are companies that, again, we're taking a leap of faith with, on the founder and our founders, plural. Our goal is to surface the best entrepreneurs as early as possible. And if we're capable of doing that, then we're going to win. And if we're not, then we're not going to win, which would be a sad, sad day because I really, really love what I do. What's a, what's a startup uh, got to do to get on your radar? Um, you know, they send us flowers and cookies and square cash. We take square cash. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's an interesting thing. So, Again, like I said before, we're very much on the offense. So it's it's rare. I mean, we have. Think, I feel very fortunate that our inbound deal flow is is really good. But 
again, like I, I don't think that we have the luxury of sitting back and waiting for the best people to come to us. So the things that we do to get in front of entrepreneurs, I guess would be fair to say that they should also do those things to get in front of the people that they want to get in front of. Um, and some of those things include just being interested and creative, um, you know, more specifically, I'll, I'll tell you, there was a, there was a founder in Chicago who had a company that we would have never, I mean, we, we ended up passing the company, but it wasn't even in our wheelhouse, like nothing we would ever look at, but they sent us cash on Venmo $2 to be exact, just to, so no one's getting all like hot and bothered by the fact that we're like taking advantage of people. They sent us $2 on Venmo and said, here's two bucks for, you know, what it would cost to get a cup of coffee. Like, will you take the time to, to chat with us? So I immediately send the $2 back and I respond like, that was really, really smart. And he ends up telling me that Venmo is like an, he uses it as like a hack. Like if he doesn't have someone's contact info and he wants to get in front of someone and get their attention, he sends them money on Venmo because it, like there's not an opt-in process. Like if someone sends money to me, it doesn't say, do you want to receive money from person X? It just sends it to you. So his with a message. So it's like a guaranteed way of delivering message to someone. And I thought that was really, really very creative. So I've, I've now tried to use that as well. Like I sent Jack Dorsey money on square cash the other day and was like, here's money for a coffee. You know, we, we take a few minutes with me. Hasn't worked yet, but if he doesn't, well, it's not yet amazing because he hasn't responded. So Jack Dorsey, if you're listening, you either owe me five bucks or time for a coffee. I'm sure Jack Dorsey's listening. <laughs> well, if enough, pe- if enough people like promote this, then maybe we can get, maybe this could be like this, my whole like evil plan to get Jack Dorsey to respond to me. Let's, let's uh, hashtag that uh, Trieste Dorsey coffee. Yeah, yeah. Can we try to get people to rally around that cause, please? Let's do it. Yeah. So um, tell me tell me about Detroit, what, what it's like, you know, um, you see a lot of startups uh, probably there as well. Um, what, what do you, what do you, um, what's it like building a startup in Detroit and working in Detroit? So Detroit is a really interesting place in the universe right now. Um, I, I, for starters, people have to understand that whatever they see, you know, outside of Detroit via the media, um, whether it's good or bad, I mean, whether it's the ruined porn you see, which is actually really interesting to look at, and I understand why people like that, or it's these stories of this underdog city that's coming back with this dynamite force. The truth is that it's neither. Neither of those are really the reality. Um, the reality is that this is a city that was severely economically depressed, and it's going to take a long time to dig ourselves out of that. Now, with that being said, the amount of progress that has occurred just over the last handful of years has been remarkable. We've been downtown um, since 2000, I don't know, I want to say 2011, maybe. And the progress outside our windows is just fascinating to watch. I mean, like it really is occurring at a beautiful rate. And as it comes, and more specifically, as it relates to startups and technology, I think that companies have, can do really, really well here, but they have to specifically take advantage of something Detroit has to offer. And those things are, I mean, there's many things, but just a few to name um, are like one manufacturing, like really inexpensive manufacturing. I mean, we're a city that's built off of manufacturing, so amazing opportunities there. The real estate is very inexpensive comparatively. Uh, there's a strong workforce. I mean, you have phenomenal public universities with lots of talented people. And for us, it's a retention issue. How do we get those people to stay? But if, um, you know, if you want to hire some really solid engineers, this is also a good place for that. I don't believe Detroit right now, right now, is like the best place for, you know, building the next huge consumer app. Uh, 
and that's a, that's a combination of there's not as much money here for companies. There's not as many early adopters to get a product off the ground and running. But I think it's really important that we focus on what we are good at. And instead of comparing ourselves to any other cities and trying to, you know, emulate what they're doing, really focus on what we're good at. Shinola is an amazing company that's, you know, growing here. I don't know if you know what Shinola is, but it's a, it's a, they manufacture watches and they're beautiful watch pieces and they're made here in the city and it's a brand play and they're doing phenomenally well. Um, and they're doing it right here in the heart of the city. That's a perfect example of a company that can do very, very well here. So, so if, if anybody in our audience or me, we, I was going to visit Detroit, who, who, how would I get connected and who would I talk to? That's another amazing thing about the city of Detroit is that people who are here are so passionate about being here. I don't think there's another place in the universe, and obviously I'm biased, that you can go to, though, where you land and you've got thousands of people who want nothing more than to promote this city and will take you everywhere to all the popular places, to all the places that are hidden and are gems that people don't know about. Um, I think it's probably the easiest city to find people to, to really help them explore the place with. Um, you know, with that being said, if anyone's interested in actually coming to Detroit and seeing what we've got, um, it would be my pleasure to connect you with the right people. There's plenty of them. So you've seen and worked with a lot of really, really good entrepreneurs. Um, what, what are, what are some of the things that you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into it. Like what are, what are some qualities that you see in the best, the best entrepreneurs, people, The ability to very, very clearly and easily tell a story and and describe what you do. Um, I I think that's a a very important quality that a lot of people overlook. You know, you you have very technical founders who do amazing things, and there have been obviously some very big success stories around people like that, you know, that personality type. But I think you'll see the the majority of like big public facing figures who are able to generate lots and lots of buzz and then you know hire easily and you know, get get a workforce to really go to war for them that he that individual that he or she is very good at st- storytelling and you know their ability their ability to connect with any number of audiences on any number of topics is really get people engaged it's i think it's a very important quality um and and, and it makes sense i mean if you think about it that 45 seconds that I was talking about earlier, if you have someone who drones on like I'm doing right now and not giving you a clear and concise answer, you, people get bored and, and you just can't connect with them. And, but if you have someone opposite of what I'm doing right now and it has, you know, has an ability to just like one-two punch and you are like geeked about whatever they're doing and you're, you will give up whatever you're doing to go help them promote their thing, that's a very special quality. And as I've done this more and I've met, had the great fortune of meeting many more people, I've seen a lot uh, a lot more people who I'm, I'm far more impressed with than I am frustrated with, which is good because, like, I think VC in general needs that. I think that you know organizations like Level Ventures were few and far between in terms of our approach and our you know our, our strong, strong desire to make sure people understand that entrepreneurs come first. I think that was rare many years ago. I think today it's be, it's it's more widely accepted. I think a lot of my peers who are doing similar things as I am understand that our jobs solely exist because of the founders in these companies. And when you approach work that way, um, you know, it's, I, in my opinion, it's a much healthier place. How do you approach networking, marketing, uh, and just kind of getting your name out there? 
So networking, you know, I, I've, I have a deep passion for meeting new people, period. Um, so while I certainly believe that like you, people are generally as strong as their network, um, I, I don't really approach networking like with any strategy only because I like meeting people. So it's just something that I enjoy doing. So I don't, I don't really attribute any um, process to it. In terms of marketing, though, I think that's really important. You know, we're one of many seed funds and we have to raise money from LPs. You know, so we have to raise our own fund. So we have to stand out for that reason. We have to get into the best deals. So we have to stand out for that reason. And so we've tried to implement, you know, creative things to really get our name out there. Um, we, we helped launch the Sandwich Fund not so long ago, um, which is a partnership with the guys at Sandwich Video who are producing incredible content. They're a, they're a production company in LA. Startups are dying to work with them. And a lot of them can't afford to pay for these videos. Um, so we pay for the video and then in exchange, we take equity in the company with, and share that with uh, the founders of Sandwich. We're doing another thing that will be launching in a few weeks. I won't really know until they're released. Um, they're, they're little webisode, it's a little webisode series. And if it, if it works out well, then um, I'll be super pumped about it. And I think that it has a long, long life ahead of it. Uh, if it doesn't, then I'll pretend I never had anything to do with it and we'll just chalk it up as a marketing expense. Awesome, awesome. So um, where do you typically, you know, geographically, where do you invest or do you, you know, place limitations on that? Yeah, we have, I mean, we invest anywhere throughout the country. Um, but it happens to be that the most dense areas are the Bay Area is about 60% of our portfolio, 20% LA, 20% New York. Uh, it's not perfect because there are some companies in between, um, but that's where the, the majority of our portfolio exists. Yeah. What, what is the, So explain like um, where we're at as you know, a general economy as far as startups. Um, what does the landscape look like right now? If, I, if I'm a startup... What do I got to do to raise funding? Is it easy? Is it hard? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, in our current, it, it all depends on the company. Obviously, I, I would I would say this that in our current market right now, bad companies have a better chance of getting funded than they probably will in a few years. Certainly, easier chance than they had um, years ago. Uh, with that said, though. You know, this is like the whole Series A debate, whether this is like a crunch, whether or not there, you know, people are, if there's too much money out there, if there's not enough money out there. I mean, no one really is saying that there's not a lot of money out there. But, you know, the whole Series A issue right now is that, again, this is my opinion, I could, could be very wrong, but there are a lot of companies that just shouldn't be getting funded, period. So the fact that they can't raise a Series A, I don't believe is indicative of any market condition other than the fact that they should not have been funded to begin with. Um, it's not an issue that there's not enough money for Series A. There's... Just you, you, you know, individual X had a bad company, so you're not going to raise Series A. Sorry, yeah. um, but for, for in the seed world, there's tons of cash out there, and companies that should not be getting funded um, are getting funded. You know, and uh, but that, I think there's a correction too. You know, fairly soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, give me like a. A five-minute kind of thing on on your story and how you how you got into investing in general. So, I, it, um, sure. Previously, I was a designer, um, and I really and I love product. I love testing product. I love breaking products. I love seeing 
you know, what inspires users and what, you know, it kind of turns users away. And so I was working as a designer and working with some technology companies and my design skills, I thought were fairly decent, but then I started seeing, you know, all these crowd, uh, crowdsourcing design sites start popping up. And I thought, well, there's no way that they can produce as good of design as like an individual designer. And I was way wrong. Like, you know, you could, companies could start buying logos for $99 that were 10 times better than whatever I was producing. So I kind of saw like, okay, this is not going to be the, the best place to continue to uh, <laughs> earn money. So, but I had this deep passion for working with the companies that I've already been, I'd already been working with and, and then just tech in general. So I had to figure out what else can I do to attach myself to these companies and make some sort of difference in their trajectory and also make money doing it. And at that point, it was like an exercise of like, what am I good at? And, what am, and more specifically, what am I not good at to you know, figure out my place in this ecosystem? And it boiled down to, I love meeting new people. I like connecting people. So you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a good manager. I'm not good at running day-to-day operations. I'm terrible with small details, um, which are basically very fundamental skills you need to run a company. So that quickly was like out of the equation. So I was kind of left with like, okay, you're either going to invest in technology companies or you're going to have nothing to do with technology companies. And I wasn't satisfied with the latter. So um, I went out and started investing and I'm so thankful that thus far things have gone well and I'm very hopeful that they'll continue to go well. So how did, how did you get over that hump of like, how did you even get started? Like, where do you, <laughs> you can, I mean, it's, it's, how did, like, I don't know, it's yeah. hard to go from just like not investing to investing. <laughs> right. So I had, I had a very unique and uh, incredible scenario, which is not normal. And I feel again, so insanely fortunate that I had this opportunity, but I did I had, I did not have the skill set to start investing professionally when I did. So that means like I was not ready to go start at a big firm as an associate. I was not ready, you know, for, for any, I, I just, I was not prepared to really start investing. Um, I had the amazing opportunity that some family members trusted me to, which was kind of silly on their part, um, to start investing on their behalf which gave me a huge advantage because then I could go out and actually start networking and building a brand and figuring out what VC was all about, um, but while actively doing it. And I know that's not normal and that's not a typical situation, but it was mine and I, and I, I took it and I ran with it and, and tried to make the, the very most of it for sure. Uh, and then I went out west and I, I, I went to a lot of people who are really wonderful VCs themselves and I said, Oh, I just, I just associated myself with wonderful VCs. I didn't mean to do that. I went out West and I knocked on a lot of doors and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing and I need your help. Um, I don't need your money. And there are some people who were great and really helped me out a ton. So how do how do you even get those meetings? Did you just like cold email them? Did you... Like literally well, knock on their door? Like how did that work? So, no, I went at gunpoint. I went and kidnapped their families. <laughs> I helped them for ransom. And I said, look, if you ever want to see your loved ones again, then you will take a meeting with me. And so I spent 10 years in prison. And then when I came out, oh, uh, but, it, you know, 
and also you, to be fair at the time there wasn't as much capital in the in the ecosystem so it wasn't i don't think it was as difficult to get on people's radars as it is today um but i'm i w- was just so lucky to meet the right people at the right times and they were open to helping and and again i talk about this frequently but these are people who like can get nothing from it. Like they get no benefit from our relationship goes to them. Like I, I am such a taker in this, in these relationships. Um, there's nothing I could really offer them professionally, personally, nothing. They're, they're at the top of their game and, uh, but they still were willing to give and help and coach and mentor. And, um, I find that very, very inspiring. And I, and I try to do the same now. Um, you know, when people, when people approach us here at Lando. I'm not nearly as giving though and altruistic as those people are. It's hard. It is, like I was like, oh, that's like I never really. I, I think I took it for granted, like how difficult it is to give without any expectation of getting anything back. And these people just did it so carefree. I mean, like Brad Brad Feld, I talk about him frequently because he is a perfect example of this. Like that dude just gives and gives and gives and gives. And like people talk to their blue in the face all the time. Like give first. You know, it's real easy to throw up a hashtag on Twitter, give first. And everyone's like, yeah, I'll favorite that. I'm all for, you know, giving. Yeah. Um, but everyone wants something back. Brad does not. Brad wants to help. That's really all he wants is to help. And that's not an easy thing to do. We're built to just be like creatures to keep taking and taking and taking. And, and it's really important that we, I'm speaking to myself here, that like I strive to continuously try to really help without the expectation of what it means for me. That's so good. Gosh. Um, so in, in that um, in that vein, like how can our audience? I guess as a last question, how can our audience help you, and then how can they also connect with you? Well, if you guys could all help me um, get a coffee with Jack Dorsey, that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> um, outside of that, but look again, I, I I really want this to be more about like how I can literally you know, how I can really help your you know the audience or you know the. I'm sure you have a large audience for the majority of your podcasts, but for the six people who will listen to my podcast, I have all six of you, I would love for you uh, to let me know how, you know, what myself or, or my peers here at Lolo can do to help you guys. You know, we've been on the receiving end of some wonderfully generous people. And if there's anything we can do to give back, um, we really are trying to make an effort to do that. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Jonathan Trias for taking time to catch up with us. If you have a question for us this week, don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter at the IO Podcast. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and give that a shot. Also, you can follow the hosts of this show at Ardinger, at Paul Jarrett, and me at Matt Boyd on Twitter as well. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. As always, and until next time, go build something big. <laughs>